It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. Thanksgiving is over, but we've still got more holidays coming up, and a lot of folks are not going to be able to continue certain traditions and celebrations because of the pandemic. It's forcing people to amend or cancel their plans, and that can come with some disappointment. Plus, a lot of folks are already feeling pandemic fatigue, even election fatigue, and are just so tired of it all. So how do we keep on going and not just get through the holidays, but do so with smiles on our faces? On this week's podcast, AJC Dining Editor Lagaya Figuera spoke to some food writers and cookbook authors about coping during the holidays, and she's here to bring us those conversations. Welcome, Lagaya. Hello, Shane. Thanks for having me. Sure. And, um, you know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, the holidays are certainly different this year, aren't they? They definitely are. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was pretty good. It was just two of us, and I, you know... I still cooked a turkey because, you know, I discovered that just cooking a turkey breast was actually going to be more expensive. So I figured, why not just have the turkey? And we have had many, many days of leftovers. Yay. Why not? Why not? These days, I mean, anything to shake it up is fun, too. But, yeah. uh, you know, whatever whatever gets you through. I will admit to you that um, this is the first time that I did not cook Thanksgiving dinner. We ordered from a restaurant. And honestly, it was it was fun and um something different and and unique. And again, you know, we got we got through the holiday, but uh it was definitely different, you know. Yeah. Eating on the deck, social distanced, just my mom and uh who lives with us now, and my husband and and our college age son from a distance. Um it was different, but but I think at, in the end we felt even more gratitude than we might normally because we were able to be together. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's something that we, we give up now for, you know, hopefully better down the road, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that I haven't been, um, (laughs) haven't been cooking and, (laughs) uh, you know, especially in this time. And as we're gearing into these holidays, I've already done, I've already done some cookie um, baking and, and that kind of thing as gifts. Um, and I know that that folks are going to be thinking about some of the traditions that they might be losing, um, you know, as we go into December. 
so I wondered, you know, what 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 might help us get through this, and and where is how can food be part of food and and cooking be part of the coping process? So I talked to a bunch of um, food writers and cookbook authors about this. And, you know, when I was thinking about first food as coping mechanism, to me, it's not so much about, you know, binge eating the turkey or cookies. I guess you could do both if you wanted to. But it's more, are there ways to find, you know, satisfaction and, and happiness through the process of cooking to to feed ourselves and to feed others at a time that um, so many of us yearn to, to be together? Right. I mean, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting that, I mean, that sort of what happened in the early days of the pandemic, it seemed a lot more people were cooking uh, and it, it, it felt like uh, people who had maybe been estranged from cooking and, and were became used to takeout or going out to restaurants were suddenly baking bread and all of those things. Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the whole sourdough project kind of thing. Um, you know, necessity, if you can't leave your house and all of a sudden you look around in your pantry and you're like, well, I didn't need to go to the grocery store in the first place. I forgot that I have this, 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 and this, or I'm going to take it up with such and such ingredient because I really ought not to go to the store for just one ingredient. Um, So so yeah, I would definitely agree that that folks really did start, um, you know, putting on their aprons and roll up their sleeves, especially early in the pandemic. And I think that this holiday season also offers um, a similar opportunity um, to be even more mindful and recognize how how great we feel sometimes when we are in the kitchen. So I was asking some of those folks, you know, not just put like, well, one, we know that we are going to have smaller celebrations, right? I mean, yeah. we saw that at Thanksgiving and um, hopefully, well, you know, if as, as this continues, we're being told by, you know, public health officials that to please limit um, our, our gatherings just to those who who, um, who we live with, really. Um, so we're going to have smaller celebrations. How do we do that and, um, you know, have fun with it? And I also wanted to ask these folks, just like, you know, how do you find meaning and, and gratitude um, during pretty tough times in the kitchen? So there were some great ideas for that. And then honestly, I don't know if you're a person who does this, but um, making homemade edible gifts for, for folks. Do you do that at all? I, you know, I haven't in the past, but I very well may do that this year because I mean, frankly, I, I have done some cooking. I've done so much cooking that, that I have shared things already this year with people. So, you know, it's not that big a jump to, to do it for gifts uh, during the holiday season. Right. Well, and you know, honestly, a lot of us are still having to work from, we're in work at home situation. Anyway, I think we're spending certainly more time in our house. So maybe uh, with that time, um, instead of binge watching, you know, Netflix, (laughs) we can do, we can take on a few kitchen projects or, you know, cooking projects and, and even uh, give those away, you know, during to, to family, friends, neighbors. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, cool. So, so you spoke with uh, several folks, and uh, they they've got ideas and and uh, insights into how to make this a, a great holiday, right? Exactly. So we can all be, you know, merry and bright. <laughs> with public health officials advising against large gatherings and traveling to mitigate the spread of COVID nineteen, the holidays are different this year. Thanksgiving has come and gone, and for some, it was a bit bittersweet because they couldn't gather in person around the table with many of their loved ones. And plenty of folks are going to have to muddle through the rest of the year, through Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year, 
without celebrating these holidays in person with family and friends? How can we keep things merry and bright as we finish out such a challenging year? And how can food be part of the answer? I've asked numerous culinarians that question, and I'm joined now by one of them, Atlanta-based James Beard award-winning cookbook author, Cynthia Graubart. She has 11 cookbooks total to her name, including a new book called Thanksgiving for Two or Four, which offers 20 downsized recipes for small Thanksgiving celebrations. Cynthia, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. You bet. Okay, so first of all, I have to ask, how did you celebrate Thanksgiving this year? And how was it different from uh, compared to, to previous years? Well, it was really different. And we tried to keep the sentiment intact, even though we weren't having our usual large gathering. And it was really, it was special. It was like a lot of people's Thanksgivings. We did it over Zoom. You know, who knew we would end up with celebrating a major holiday uh, online, but that's what we did. And it was okay. Right. No, I agree with you. Uh, keeping the, to keep the sentiment part of things, I think, was um, one of the most important. When you say the word special, I think that a lot of us uh, felt that way about our Thanksgiving. Whatever way that we could celebrate, there was a deep uh, measure of gratitude to it and uh, mindfulness that uh, we were able to do something, if anything. So I, I would like to talk with you a little bit about, you know, why did you write this book? Can you tell listeners why you wrote it, what the premise of it was, and, and really what you hoped to accomplish? Well, I saw what was coming, which was we weren't going to be able to gather in person. And that was really what spurred my thought to go ahead and get this done because I knew that there were people out there who maybe had only made one dish that served 14 or 16 people that they always make and always carry to their aunt's house for Thanksgiving. Suddenly, those cooks were now making a Thanksgiving meal all by themselves. And so I wanted to scale down the recipes so they wouldn't have giant quantities of leftovers to deal with, but also make them easy and, and what I call doable. Mm -hmm. And did you cook any of the recipes that were published in your book for your Thanksgiving meal? I did. I'm, I'm, all of them were from the book. And that was really rewarding too. We joined uh, online with my son and his wife, and he cooked from the book. And it was terrific. Uh, you know, we we all have a little bit left over, which is great. Always nice to have a break from from cooking, um, but not so much that we'll be tired of them. Right now, I realize Thanksgiving has passed, but I asked you to join me because we're not out of this this holiday season yet. And I think that your book and the premise behind it is one that's going to ring true for December as well. I know you you, uh, you mentioned to me when we had been speaking um, in an early occasion that many of the recipes you think people will, will find equally useful for their Christmas table. So which of those recipes do you think is going to be ideal as we head into December? <laughs> well, you know, we always like... Um uh, you know, to have great, we use tremendous, great produce here in the South. So our vegetables are incredibly important. And I've got uh, a new a new style green bean casserole. So it's not the can of soup variety. Uh, that can appear again at Christmas. Um, and I've also done green beans with uh, brown butter and pecans, which is a tremendous recipe. Um, and I think People still love ma uh, mashed potatoes are fabulous. 
uh, sweet potatoes, souffles, um, dinner rolls, uh, plenty of recipes that will still appear at our winter holiday celebrations. Right. Now, how do you think, um, are you going to be modifying any of your December plans? It's, we all, you know, we, we, we don't exactly know. Sometimes it's, you know, you go week by week of, can I do this? And we have to continue to adjust and pivot. But for the moment, um, how do you plan to try to still make the upcoming uh, December holidays special? Are there any particular traditions, especially those that revolve around food for you that you're going to try to retain or modify in some way? Well, uh, we celebrate Hanukkah in our house. So I'm always used to making a couple of batches of latkes uh, over the holiday. And I'll really miss having people here to eat them because I will have to eat them all by myself. <laughs> Um, but I'm going to send um, care packages to both my children so that we can get together um, for a night over Zoom and, um, and enjoy some special symbolic foods of the holiday. And we, you know, we won't be gathering in person. I think that this was a huge wake-up call for so many people to realize that we're not finished with this. And and. Hopefully they had a successful experience over Thanksgiving so that they'll have the confidence to go into the remaining holidays for 2020 with a sense of that they can do it. it it's okay that it's different. And we all survived. Look, it, we woke up the day there after. There you go. There you go. Well, Cynthia, thank you for your ideas. For those of you who are interested in uh, checking it out, you can find Cynthia Grauwark's Thanksgiving for two or four on Amazon, uh, where it's available as an ebook and in paperback. And in addition, we should mention, Cynthia, that a portion of the proceeds from your book are going to be donated to Frontline Workers Fund, and that provides financial support to workers on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. So any last words, any parting words that you want to, to share with our listeners? I'm um, just sending everybody a big, warm hug and we are going to continue to get through this and brighter days are ahead. That's right. So I'm joined now by another culinarian who has more ideas on getting through this holiday season. It's a time that uh, while we can't be necessarily together with everyone that we love and care about, um, food can still be um, at the center of this time and uh, we can make the most of it. So Chadwick Boyd, thank you so much for joining me. It's so great to be here and talking with you, Lagaya. Yeah. Um, are you in Atlanta right now or are you up in uh, New York? I am in New York actually um, for the very first time about to take off on a Delta jet on a business trip. Okay, well, safe travels to you. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Why don't you first uh, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I uh, am a TV host and a judge on Hallmark. Uh, I also have written uh, multiple cookbooks with various folks and contribute to magazines all around my very favorite thing, food. Yes. And you recently began um, uh, writing a bit for the AJC in our food section. It's been great to work with you and uh, have your byline there. Thank you. I'm thrilled to write for my hometown newspaper of 20, almost 26 years now. 
Yay. So you and I met a few years ago. And the reason that we met was over biscuits, which is our shared joy and love. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that uh, struck me about you then and continues to is just how deeply meaningful you find recipes and the intentionality of, of recipes and um, uh, perhaps, I guess, the history and the memories that come with them. Can you talk a little bit to me about um, just the importance of recipe itself and the personal connection that you get through those? Sure. So I I have known for, and in fact, in my test kitchens, um, I surround myself with recipe cards and composition books and booklets from my grandmothers and my aunts. Uh, people in my history who, when I was little, um, showed me how to cook and taught me um, special recipes that were um, important to them. And I actually look at recipes more than just a a functional um, experience, but a way to give a gift to somebody else. And I've been leafing through uh, some of my grandmother's um, favorite recipe um, booklets. It's it's really tattered and and dog-eared as one would expect. It's probably um, eighty years old, um, but it, it's it's something that I look at as a gift that not only what my grandmother gave to me, but the many women who gave to each other in their neighborhoods and their communities uh, recipes that they loved for over you know sixty plus years. Wow. So think about right now, you know, we're, you know, high in this holiday season. Um, what are some of the the recipes that you sort of reflect on or even cook up during this time that, um, say, bring you back to, to memories of your grandmother, some of the women who um, influenced you, particularly in the kitchen? Yeah, you know, and, and this year is different, right? Um, we are mostly at home. We're not going to be with our loved ones like we usually um, do. We're not going to parties. And so our schedules are, are different during this time. And one thing that I have been reflecting on as I've been leafing through these pages and thinking about how I want to holiday and how I think others would enjoy the holidays um, is to we have the time to make the recipes that uh, seemingly would be really difficult to fit in because they take extra time. For example, my grandmother was known for her tadas, which are Italian wedding cookies. And she made five, six times a recipe and, and filled Tupperware buckets full of them to give to the community. But they literally take about five or six hours to make. And in a normal year, Um, I have had the best of intentions to make them, but I've never found that five or six hours to commit to doing them. So this year, I'm definitely going to be making um, those tadas. Um, She was of Sicilian heritage. uh, So I'm going to go back to my great grandmother, her grandmother or her mother, rather, um, who was from Sicily. And I'm going to make these cuchidati or she called them wichidatis, which are um, fig cookies um, from Sicily. And that's something that I have not made in probably 30 years. Wow. You know, it's interesting when you, you, you talk about leafing through um, the recipes that you have, say from you know the recipe cards or, or perhaps an old cookbook. Something that um, I found that I've been doing lately 
is I might not have the recipe. It's somebody else's. And what I've done is pick up the phone and give a ring. I recently did that with um, my mom's old next door neighbor. So they lived next to us, you know, for something like 40 years. And I remembered this woman's peanut butter blossoms from my childhood when we would go caroling there. And I just remembered that memory as why I was, uh, you know, about to be um, preparing to put up my own Christmas tree. And we used to have those when we would go caroling at their with them um, and go back to their house and have those cookies. And so I called her and said, you know, can I get that recipe? She was so touched, number one, to share it. It gave us time on the phone. And then it was just delightful to make it. And then I ended up gifting it to neighbors. And my husband was like, whoa, these are pretty good. So (laughs) that was a really fun way for me to, while I didn't have the recipe on hand, just reaching out to that person, having that phone call and then, you know, making and thinking about all of those things as I was cooking was just delightful. It's actually, and part of the exchange that I was talking about where, you know, my grandmother had, um, one of her best friends lived across the street. Her name was Mary Nicoletti and they literally would walk recipe cards over to each other and share them and say, Oh, Claire, I made these last night and here's what I loved about them. And, you know, my grandmother would, just delight in that type of exchange. And they did that for decades upon decades. Literally what you just did was a very similar version of that is reaching out to the person and 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 getting their take on it. Uh, and it's a wonderful memory for them too. Yeah, totally agree. So do you have any other maybe tips, strategies for the for folks who um, are looking to to you know find say some some gratitude in the kitchen, um, just uh, using say the the memories of of recipes to feel a little bit better? Yeah, I think this year I'm taking food gifts a little bit further I, rather than because we have the time. I'm going to spend more time in the kitchen to create food gifts like preserving apples and pears in like a red wine poaching liquid with beautiful bay leaves and juniper berries and citrus. Uh, And I'm doing the jars a little bit larger because that taking the idea of the exchange, since we can't be together at a party or, or something like that, um, I'm, I'm taking the time to give them something that they can enjoy, but to, to honor that type of exchange that we were talking about earlier. Right. And, you know, um, the, the other step that I did when I was, uh, after I had made those cookies was, um, normally I might just, you know, wrap them up, put them in a, maybe a Ziploc bag and run them over. And instead, for some reason, this time I wanted it to even more special. So as I ran downstairs and found, you know, pretty tags and pretty bows and that kind of thing and really dressed it up. And even that made me feel a wee bit better. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been reflecting on also the fact that my grandparents were part of the greatest generation. And I have on my Christmas tree, um, ornaments from uh, World War II and World War One, and you know, in, as part of the Greatest Generation, they did take those little bits of time to do something not fancy, but just a little bit extra special to show people, whether it was a neighbor or you know a, a distant cousin, that they cared, especially during the holiday season. And I think that those little tiny bits of effort, of which we had the time for this year are going to not just, you know, touch our taste buds, but touch our heart too. That's 
perfect way to end it. I know you have a plane to catch. So Chadwick Boyd, thank you so much for, for joining me. I hope that you have safe travels and that you um, uh, have a, a safe uh, rest of the year and uh, get into 2021 safely. <laughs> always a pleasure to talk to you. As Chadwick just mentioned, gifting homemade food can be an important part of the holidays. I'm joined now by another culinarian, Ashley English, to chat a bit more about how in this pandemic-filled year, making and giving away food gifts can bring joy and satisfaction to the giver, particularly when the action is done with some intentionality and self-reflection. Ashley holds degrees in holistic nutrition and sociology. She is the author of numerous books, including Southern from Scratch, Pantry Essentials, and Down-Home Recipes, four books in the Homemade Living series, Canning and Preserving, Keeping Chickens, Keeping Bees, and Home Diary, as well as A Year of Pies, Quench, Handmade Gatherings, A Year of Picnics, and The Essential Book of Homesteading. If there was ever someone who knows the art of homemade gifts, it's Ashley. She lives a life of a homesteader in Candler, North Carolina, with her husband and their two sons and a bunch of animals. And you can follow her life in the Appalachian Hills on Instagram at Small Measure. Ashley, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So first I should ask, how are you and your family faring during this pandemic? You know, we're doing as well as could be hoped for. We kind of were primed for this. It's we already work from home. My husband and I work together. We've homeschooled in the past. We're homeschooling again. So we're kind of, and we're homebodies by nature. So it's, in a lot of ways, it's been an easy segue, but I realize that has not been the case for many people. Right. So, so then you're, you're, you're like the expert here. You can uh, <laughs> explain to us how it's done. How do we survive? But, um, you know, I mentioned your Instagram handle, small measure, because that term seems quite appropriate at this time when we're all sort of trying to get through 2020, survive COVID-19. Can you tell listeners why you chose that handle, small measure? What's the significance of it? Yeah. So years ago, when I was trying to come up with a name for my then blog, it's kind of segued into um, a website, it's kind of a landing page for numerous things, my social media channels and whatnot. And I was talking with my husband, Glenn, like I said, we work together full time on, on everything, my books, everything. Um, I wanted something that would encapsulate this sense of kind of the opposite of grandiose gestures, something that would really speak to, you don't have to, you know, to be considered a, a mindful steward of the environment outfit your house with solar panels and go off the grid and get an electric car and homestead everything. You can, but you can also have a, a more gentle sort of segue. At, and I wanted to speak to the cumulative effect of these incremental steps. I think people can be so daunted and overwhelmed by the thought of going in all at once, you know, with this sink or swim mindset, it doesn't have to be that way. So we came up with small measure and it really speaks to how we approach our work and our daily lives. 
Right. So, you know, you and I first met about just over a year ago and, and you struck me then and you continue to strike me as someone who goes about her daily life with quite a bit of intentionality and and you seek uh, ways to, to really, you know, find gratitude. I want, can you discuss that a little bit and especially in the kitchen and when it comes to food, like what's your MO? How do you put that intentionality in practice? So, well, thank you. Um, I do try to be mindful of all of my behavior. I think that, you know, I'm 44. I've had some time to think about how I live. I also really believe that where you are physically speaks to kind of your mindset. And I've been living here in this forested cove for almost 14 years, and it's a really slow pace of life. So my surroundings definitely help to reinforce how I approach living. Um, in the kitchen, that evidence is as I like, I'm, I'm a really simple person in, the, in that I'm really easily satisfied. I was telling my husband that the other day, I said, you know, you're really lucky. A lot of, a lot of women are always pining for, or just people in general are pining for things. And I literally don't, I'm so happy sitting by the wood stove, which is in our kitchen. It heats our house with a cup of coffee in the morning um, or stacking firewood with the family. And it sounds cliche, but it's incredibly true. And that's, but that hasn't always been the case when we were first together. I was always online shopping or popping into town for things. And so it's definitely been a process, but it's, it's been a mindset that I've aspired to as well. So it didn't just happen to me. It was a goal I set for myself and I've been working on that. And in the kitchen, we have 11 books now that we've published, and they all speak to that sort of slow down approach, um, whether by choice or by necessity. You know, learning to make your own butter, keeping chickens, and then taking their eggs and making them into all manner of things, um, canning and preserving things that you grow in your garden or you get from the farmer's market or you, you know, forage on your property or, or on public lands or whatever. All of those things invite deliberation and intention because when you're in the kitchen, you got to be on your game. If you're not, you could cut yourself, you could burn yourself. Um, and the kitchen, I think in general invites that sort of mindfulness because it's such an embodied process. You have to be aware of what you're doing. But I think mm -hmm. if you go in and your end goal isn't your end goal necessarily like getting your preserves made or making the honey, you know, getting it out of the beehives and whatnot. If you actually part of your process is the process, then the whole thing becomes much more enjoyable. Our dryer died a couple of months ago and I've been, it was under warranty. I've been trying to get it repaired. In the meantime, I put up a clothesline. We used to have one. It collapsed years ago. I got a new one. And I was telling my husband recently that I love hanging the laundry. It takes so much more time. But I've learned to embrace the whole process while I'm out there with my thoughts and I'm moving my body. So I think that if you if you embrace, you know, sometimes it's forced upon you. You didn't ask for it, but you suddenly find yourself needing to do that. Um, at least for me, it, it makes the whole process much more enjoyable. That's a great strategy. And I mean, uh, you know, as a follow-up, 
you know, right now there are people out there who are feeling sad, you know, lonely, anxious. They can't necessarily be around family. So many, their lives have been, our lives have been upended, um, a vast majority of us in some fashion. Um, and particularly as we go into the holidays, how do you find the gratitude, especially in the kitchen or anything that's maybe food related when you're really not feeling it, you know, when you're feeling blue? Sure. I, I think about who I'm cooking for. You know, I, I live, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I'm, you know, I'm not in this by myself. So physically I'm with my sons who are three and 10 and my husband. So if I'm cooking for them or if I'm cooking things that I'm making with someone else in mind, I think about them. I don't think about myself. And when I'm thinking about that other person, I'm thinking about memories that we've had together, things that I know they like, places that they might be missing, flavors that they really love that they can't maybe get right now because they're not able to travel, or family members that they miss. I think about the recipient, and that gives me gratitude. That gives me joy. We did an impromptu tea party for my mom last week. Um, I wasn't going to be with her on Thanksgiving because my dad was here and my parents are, are divorced. But we brought her a tea party. I brought flasks of hot water. I brought Earl Grey tea bags. I brought teapots and cups and honey and cream and some desserts that I'd made. And we had a, a little tea party on her front porch. And it was I was thinking about her the entire time. And the end goal of having the tea party was the goal. But the process of getting there, she lives an hour north in Burnsville, the drive, knowing I was packing this all up for her. If I'm thinking of someone else when I'm doing something, then it's it's not drudgery. And it conjures up so many lovely memories of shared experiences and time together. Even when I was making chow chow in the fall, which is where you and I met at the chow chow festival. And I, I wrote about it. I contribute regularly to edible Asheville magazine. And I wrote about how, when I make chow chow, I now think about you know my culinary background with my great grandmother and my grandmother but I also think about the Chow Chow Festival and I think about Katie Button, who, you know, co-founded it. And I think about John Fleer, who's on the board, who, you know, runs Rhubarb. And, and he and I have a very lovely working relationship. And I think about all of these other aspects. I think about Barbara Swell, who did the demo with me on making Chow Chow. So I'm not with these people right now, but they're still with me in the kitchen. Oh, that's such a great mindset. That's wonderful. Now, okay, so we're talking a little bit about then, you know, giving um, and the power of giving. So if we know that giving, you know, the gift of food can be a pick-me-up for both giver and receiver, do you have any um, sort of from scratch food as gift projects planned yourself for the holidays? Well, uh, and, and if you do, what are the projects and who are the lucky recipients? <laughs> So I actually, you know, when COVID hit, I'd been intending um, to start a whole series of in-person classes and that whole plan got scrapped. And I tried to figure out what I could do and, and pivot from home. Um, and I saw my son doing some Zoom classes for school where he had been attending last year. And I thought, well, maybe I could teach live Zoom classes, teach people how to can, teach all manner of different things. So I taught a 10-week um, home canning series over the summer that I called Slow Jams. And every week we did a different type of canned good. And then 
More recently, I've switched to teaching classes online I call Sunday School, and they're in the afternoon on Sundays. And a couple weeks ago, I taught one called Homemade Holiday Gifts from the Kitchen, and it was on this exact topic. And I taught live. It's a live demo, and then people get a recording that they can access for 30 days afterward. I've had people just purchase the recording. Um, I taught how to make homemade vanilla extract, flavored salts, infused oils, infused vinegars, um, shortbread, seasoned olives. Uh, we made herb, um, fragrant herbed nuts. We made granola. We made Irish cream. And we made orangettes, which are candied orange peel dipped in chocolate. And all of those are gifts. I have them ready to go for friends and family. I have friends that live down the road that are frequently the recipients of any kitchen projects that I make. Um, and we like exchange and barter things with each other. So and in the summer, whenever I'm canning, I can year round, but especially in the summer, I'm always thinking ahead to holiday gifts with those items. Yeah, those sound fantastic. In fact, as I'm thinking, you know, reflecting on we recently had Thanksgiving, right? And I think a lot of folks um, maybe cook their first turkey for the first time. <laughs> so in the sense of um, um, food projects for beginners, folks who really aren't seasoned home cooks, who don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen, some of the projects that you just mentioned sound pretty uh, like level one. Yeah. they I And I do that. I try to write most of my books with a beginner's mind. Um, if there's more advanced techniques, then I try to do a lot of hand-holding to recognize that not everyone is at the same level in their culinary journey. And, you know, in Southern from scratch, the whole book is written. I wanted to come up with 50 recipes that constitute my idea of a Southern kitchen. You know, this is based on my culinary upbringing. Someone else, someone from Florida or Texas, different parts of the South, they're going to have a different 50 base recipe concept. But from those 50 recipes, your buttermilk, your bacon, your biscuits, then there's all sorts of like iterations and permutations for creative use. Um, and in there, you, you know, you can learn how to make butter from scratch and then take that and add some, some orange zest or take it and add some dried herbs, freeze it. You've made a wonderful compound butter that you can give as a gift to people, you know, people nearby, not, you wouldn't want to ship it, but there's all sorts of just kind of get your feet wet, read about how to make cornbread, how to make biscuits, simple things from scratch. Or, you know, this time of year, there's still lots of apples around. You can make apple butter. You can make apple sauce. You could make dried apples and incorporate that into granola or give it to someone with some good cheeses and dried meat to have sort of a plowman's lunch. There's all sorts of entry-level ways. And then the internet, you know, I'm, I turn to YouTube all the time when I need some kind of tutorial on something that I'm not that I haven't mastered. <laughs> well, these are great ideas. And we can also turn to your website. Why don't you share again the um, what the web address is in case folks want to check it out? Sure. I can be found at smallmeasure, S-M-A-L-L-M-E-A-S-U-R-E.com. And I'm under that handle on Instagram um, and Facebook. And on Twitter, I'm Ashley underscore English. Well, Ashley English, thank you so much. Thanks for your ideas and your insight. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you and your family have a safe and happy holidays. Thank you, Lagaya. The same to you and yours. There's nothing normal about our new normal, but AJC.com is the same trusted source you've always had. 
And we have just as much great content, if not more. That's why each week I'll highlight my personal picks for the best things to do, see, and experience. And the stories are easy to find on AJC.com. The holiday season is here, and while it may feel very different this year, some things won't change. It's still the time to give gifts that show our friends and family our appreciation and to see the joy that a well-chosen gift brings them. The AJC has some suggestions for all your gift-giving needs. Our gift guide explores everything from stocking stuffers to locally made items that support small, independent businesses. You'll find all of that and much more on our holiday guide page at AJC.com slash holiday guide. If you're looking for something to give the bibliophile on your holiday gift list, you can't get more relevant than the new SFK press release, Viral Literature, Alone Together in Georgia. A collection of stories, essays, and poems about life during the COVID-19 pandemic, it's written by dozens of writers with Georgia Connections. Check out Suzanne Van Atten's look at this new collection, along with a look at how independent bookstores are faring during the pandemic at AJC.com. Coming this weekend, the AJC's Bo Emerson will have an interview with Atlanta playwright Alfred Urey, Pulitzer Prize-winning author of Driving Miss Daisy and Parade, who is speaking to an online audience Sunday, December 6th, courtesy of the William Bremen Jewish Heritage Museum's lecture series. Read that interview and find out more about the lecture series on the Things to Do page at AJC.com. The AJC's dining team continues to explore some of the best in takeout with the Atlanta Orders In feature, which you'll find in print in the living section most weekdays. One of the places they recently visited is Roswell Sports Bar Loyal Tavern. Not surprisingly, both Loyal Tavern and its sister barbecue restaurant, Loyal Q, went into full takeout and third-party delivery mode in March. Since reopening for dine-in service, both have continued to count on that combination to bolster the bottom line. So far, though, barbecue is beating sports. Read up on all the places the team has visited on the Atlanta Restaurant Scene blog at AJC.com. To get the AJC delivered or to subscribe to the e-paper, go to AJC.com slash subscribe. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felician. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.